You are now listening to the Hot Take Podcast, brought to you by Full Time Fantasy. Here are your hosts, Stephen Taroni and Josh Daddy. Time to make it hot. Welcome in. This is the Hot Take Podcast. Today we are talking about our top 10 tight ends. Very excited. We're going to continue on with our rankings by position. Um, and look, the tight end, not the sexiest position, Josh. You know, let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, it's going to be a great show. We're going to talk about best ball targets. Uh, and we're also going to talk uh, a little bit of uh, late round tight ends. But Josh, you know, the tight end, it's not very sexy, right? You know, not not the sexiest position, kind of like the catcher position in baseball, you know, but it's uh, it is what it is. We're going to go through these guys, though, make sure we can help some people out and very excited for our guest. uh, One of my favorite guests and favorite Twitter followers as well. So. Ready to get into it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Derek Brown, Debro himself. What is going on, Derek? What's going on, guys? Thank you all for having me. This is going to be a blast. I mean, I know we're kind of you're kind of burying the lead in the end where we're, we're trying to put a little bit of a cap on this, but I mean, tight ends are still important in fantasy as much as people want to, you know, trounce the line and talk about how nasty the position is. I think the position has still got some more wealth than, um, and with the, the way NFL offenses are moving, I actually, I'm really excited to talk tight ends with you guys tonight. Thanks for having me. Man. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's weird calling you Derek, by the way, because, like, I mean, just like everyone else, I refer to you as Ebro, like, exclusively. So the fact that I'm calling you Derek Brown, like, I'm like, I feel like people are like, wait, who? Like, people know you as Debro. Yeah, that's really funny, because, I mean, when I originally designed the, uh, or, or redid uh, my Twitter handle, which I think at the time was... Ooh, maybe like 20 people following me, uh, which was all like family members and uh, random people. Um, I, I, it was the first thing that came to mind. And yeah, I, I actually get referred to that more than my actual name. Some people don't even know my real name, which is, is still odd to me to this day. Co-author of the Fantasy Football Black Book, a really cool uh, series that comes out every year by Joe Pizapia. Um, so Debro was a part of that. And now, you know, you have uh, earned a role over at FTN, which, you know, if you're on Twitter, you're seeing, you know, every week now, someone new is being added to FTN. And it's usually a big name at this point. And one of those names is Debro. So, you know, uh, congrats uh, on behalf of, you know, Josh and everybody in the fantasy football show. I guess first tell everybody about FTN and you know what you're going to be doing over there. Oh, thank you guys. Um, yeah, it's it's um, definitely been uh, four years of of no sleep and a pipe dream, um, to be honest. So, I'm, I'm my head's still kind of swimming. I don't think that it's truly sunk in yet. I mean, the the announcement's been what uh, this is you know was yesterday as we're recording this. So, um, yeah, I mean to be honest, my head's still kind of spinning about it. So. Um, it, it's uh, a dream come true, um, for sure. But, uh, yeah, FTN, we, we are still got a lot of dominoes left to fall, but, um, if you've been checking us out and on Twitter, uh, it, I mean, there is, 
I, we keep joking uh, on the back channels that people are going to be so sick of us by the time we're, we're done uh, <laughs> announcing everybody because it's just gift after gift after gift and some kind of just ridiculousness that we, we throw together at the last second. Um, but no, it's, it's been awesome. Um, FTN, I really, I'm so excited for this man. Um, I, I think that it is going to be a, a breath of fresh air into a lot of different um, avenues of fantasy, whether you're talking about DFS, we're going to have season long content. There are so many other avenues that um, I would love to share more in depth, but I can at least at this point, but um, I mean, really my role, I can definitely tell you, I mean, whether it's best ball, dynasty, uh, redraft, uh, it's really more of a Swiss army knife uh, of sorts. So all things oh, NFL cool. um, is going to be my bag. Um, basically, whatever the heck they ask me to do, um, I, I'm going to cover it. So um, I'm super excited, man. I, I, yeah, I mean, everybody's been on Twitter. The, the team has been lit. Um, so many talented, sharp people. I mean, I know Ray Garvin just got announced today. I love Ray. Ray is probably about 45 minutes or an hour away from me uh, over here in Texas. And I have so much love and respect for that dude. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm jazzed, man. I, I'm just I'm, I'm really excited to get to work um, and get back to the grind of, of football and fantasy with a really, really kick-ass team. Nice. Those Twitter alerts are fantastic. Those are, the, <laughs> those are the kind of Twitter alerts that people need right now. 100%. I mean, and we yeah. <laughs> keep it light, and a lot of it's, you know, some sarcasm. Like, somebody was making, like, light of, um, or they were like, uh, what are you, I mean, y'all were basically forming Voltron, and I was like, all right, well, let me throw something into a random-ass gif here. We go. <laughs> That's yeah. excellent. Yeah, like yeah. the Deadpool one and the, uh, Oh, what was the other one I just saw? Uh, I can't remember, but man, they're they're fantastic. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny, uh, D-Row, you mentioned, you know, like, because, are, are you, so you said you're going to be doing potentially some basketball stuff as well? Oh, no, ba- uh, best ball. Oh, best ball. Best yeah, ball. yeah, no oh, basketball for me. Like, I, I mean, if you asked I mean, me basketball, I would honestly ask you, is Carl Malone or Gary Payton still playing these days? Love. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean besides that yeah I I can't I can name basketball players from the mid nineties anything past that um outside of um LeBron uh, yeah you you probably get, well, you need to find other avenues. <laughs> well, with basketball, it's really hard these days because they're coming. Uh, you know, they'll spend a year in college and then they'll go to the G League for like three years and then they just end up on an NBA roster because it's kind they're kind of turning it into like a minor league system mm-hmm. type deal where you just you're really not going to know these players <laughs> like it, it's it's a whole mess and you know that's why i love honestly like you know producing football content because it, it's a, it's a once a week thing <laughs> it's not every day you know with baseball basketball that's when it gets really tough josh i know you do a lot of baseball content i always commend the baseball writers man because cool, you guys man. gotta be on your game every day yeah, I got a lot of respect for baseball. Um, I know a bunch of guys at previous stops that did baseball DFS stuff, and whoo, that that's a whole different level of grind right there, baby. Like that that's some that's some <laughs> legit stuff. Yeah, well, that's, when uh, I first, oh, I was just gonna say that I was just gonna say that's like uh, when I show I used, you know I used to do baseball DFS, and it's like oh I want to read one of your articles, you know, and he goes I'm not gonna lie, I didn't understand any of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's so many stats. I mean, there's so many different stats in baseball. And like when I first started, uh, you know, I got my foot in the door in the fantasy industry with Roto experts. Scott Engel was, you know, we were on the phone and I was living in New York and uh, we were having uh, phone calls frequently. You know, I was trying to figure out what my place was. He's like, yeah, okay, you can write football. That's fine can you write baseball? And I was like, yeah, of course, obviously. And I'm like, no, it, like, just no, I cannot, but I, uh, I fake it till you make it. So I'm in there writing <laughs> baseball articles. And he's like, cool, you can write baseball. He's like, cool, you can write baseball. Um, You know, we're doing actually stuff with esports. Can you write video games? I'm like, oh yeah, I love video games. Love them. Yeah. Overwatch. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so I started watching YouTube clips, watching YouTube highlights of Overwatch just like I would with football like films. I was doing the same stuff, but with Overwatch, the first person shooter game. Uh, and I was, it was a very interesting time, but you know, you have to do what you got to do when you're starting off, man. <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably the, the um, realest statement out of all of everything we've talked about, man. You fake it till you make it and you never say no ever, 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 ever. Right. That less lessons learned on this podcast right now. If you're listening, don't say no to things if you if you have an opportunity for sure. Um, so Josh, let's get into these best ball targets. So what what is set us up here, brother, for this uh, first segment? Yeah, so I just thought uh, you know it's best ball season. It's in full swing. I'm completely addicted. I mean, I have nothing better to do. There's no other sports on or anything. So. You know, we're getting into, you and I have done a couple best balls ourselves, uh, a couple different platforms, and, uh, you know, Debro just mentioned best ball. It's a, it's a perfect time to kind of maybe check out a couple people that some other people might be sleeping on, or just a guy that we think has, you know, huge upside for where they're currently going in best balls right now. Um, and I know, Debro, you have a guy that I'm very high on as well. Uh, you put down Darrington Evans, man. Uh, tell us a little bit about him and why you like him. I think I know there's some some obvious handcuff potential there, but uh, give us the goods, brother. I I love Darrington Evans, and I really don't understand. So looking at best ball ADP, he's going in the tail end of the 14th round right now, and I really still do not understand it. He's gotten a little bit of juice um, over the last few weeks. I mean, he was when... Uh, on Twitter, I was first talking about him. He was, I think he was in the middle of the 16th round. So he's climbed a little bit, but he's still not anywhere close to where he should be. If you look at current best ball ADPs, your handcuff uh, tiers are players that are going in the 11th and 12th round. So you're looking at a guy that's going in the 14th right now, the back end of the 14th, which in some drafts, he's falling all the way to the 15th round. And at that spot, I don't really understand it for one simple fact. If Derrick Henry goes down, there is nobody there that is going to challenge Darrington Evans for the job. A third-round pick, I've loved him as a prospect even before he landed with the Titans. So in that respect, I mean, the guy has got juice. He can play in all phases of the game. On a team that was 10th in rushing attempts last year, we know what Tennessee wants to do and even if that goes down, like with uh, if they were to switch from Henry to Evans, I think that he has some standalone value because we have seen this team under previous OCs uh, feature two running backs, and they've already come out and talked about like you know Derrick Henry could get spelled a little bit. So whether he does have even a little bit of standalone value, 
um, until anything were to happen. But if, if anything happens to Henry, the upside is just immense. Like he is walking into an unequivocal bull. Cause when we talk about like, what do you know what the handcuff is? Who is the guy that's going to get the work or what does that look like? And a lot of different situations, you really can't splice that and say, all right, I know this is the dude. This is the guy that's going to get all the touches. And that's exactly what would happen here. And I really don't understand why people are still sleeping on him. But if anything happens to Henry, he is walking into an RB1 workload weekly. Like he has top five upside in that offense alone. And I like I will be overweight on the field in best ball with Darrington Evans until people wake up and his ADP climbs about two or three more rounds. Well said. It makes me smile when people actually bring the heat on this show <laughs> because like this is the hot take podcast, right? We all know that, but like we have guests on all the time that don't bring the heat. I appreciate you, D bro. You just sold me on Darianton Evans. That's it for me. And Josh, I know didn't you, you've dressed, you drafted him in the pros versus Joe's league. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We had uh, also had, you know, friend of the show, Jeff Lambert on, and that was one of his sneaky draft prospects that he liked as well. Right. And, uh, yeah, since then, I mean, I've acquired him in a couple dynasty leagues. Um, so it's he's definitely a guy that I'm high on, and and I completely agree. And uh, you know, lo- love the ADP, and I'm completely with Debro. Um, you know, that's my guy that I was going to talk about here was uh, Latavius Murray for some of the some of the same reasons. You know, there's like this obvious, just monster league winning upside. Uh, you know, from a handcuff perspective. Uh, with Latavius Murray, but you know, Darrington Evans is going a lot later than Latavius Murray. Uh, the only the only thing that I think you've seen differently uh, that may be the difference in that ninth or tenth round ADP for Murray is that you know he's done it before as recently as last year when Camaro was out. So he's a guy that's obviously been just one of the best touchdown goal line backs. Uh, that you know he still gets used in that role. I mean. You know, a lot of a lot of people. Uh, you know, Debro. I know you're a big Saints guy. Um, yeah, buddy. You know, Murray's just been a stud uh, ever since he's been, you know, with the Vikings and and now with the now with the Saints, uh, he's just been productive and he's going to put some fantasy points in there when he's given the opportunity. So this is a guy that's just kind of proven it repeatedly, and that's why I like him so much. Is because in a format like best ball, if Kamara does miss two, four, you know, hopefully not anytime, but. If he does go down, he's obviously going to put in a lot of really productive weeks that you're going to be able to use to kind of get yourself up toward the top of the standings. Well, and to double down on your Saints love there, another guy that I've been smashing and getting minimal exposure to, um, obviously this is not a guy I'm going to be overweight or 15% on, but I really want to get exposure to Ty Montgomery. He is going undrafted. He's in the 28th round in a lot of different FFP, FFPC drafts. And at that spot, I actually think I, I, I think mixing exposures with Murray um, and Ty Montgomery is a really smart, uh, it's a sharp play, especially because if we're wrong, if we're talking about with handcuffs and Ty Montgomery were to just inherit the Kamara role and Latavius, would, they would work in tandem, then Montgomery would, would smash his ADP, absolutely. So yeah, I love the Saints call though. Yeah, you know, in best ball, it's interesting because we have to like change up how we look at it because, you know, 
most of the time, I'm not condoning drafting a handcuff in a redraft situation, but I also wouldn't roster three quarterbacks in a redraft situation, but I like to have at least three quarterbacks in best ball. It's the same thing with a handcuff running back. Like once someone goes down, you don't have a replacement for him on a waiver wire. You need that player. So, you know, we're, we're talking about this ADP with both Murray and Darrington Evans. It really just feels like a straight smash. Um, you know, especially if you roster Kamara or uh, Derrick Henry. So, you yeah, know, I, I love all of that. Yeah, the only thing I was going to say was, you know, Murray also kind of gives you a little standalone value too. You don't necessarily yep. need to rely on him as much as a handcuff. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up putting in a couple useful weeks where he creeps into that optimal lineup for your best ball team where there's actually been both him and Kamara on the field you know, during the same game. So he, they, they do use Latavius Murray enough around the goal line in his old, you know, his old uh, stomping grounds where he excels uh, so well. So, you know, they do use him there enough where I think he's going to be able to provide some of that on his own. Well, basketball is such an awesome format. I mean, there's so many different ways as far as strategy that you can attack it. I mean, you're basically playing the stock market with ADPs like, okay, here's a guy that I'm going to get exposure to now, but he's going to climb the closer we get to the season, so I'll probably wane on my exposures later. Whereas, you like with Kamara, and we're talking about with Murray or, or Ty Montgomery, you can actually stack cuff those two guys, and the ADPs work out to where it's, it's just so ridiculously cheap, and it makes a lot of sense that if you're going after the role, of the, and that's what you covet in the offense, that it's really, really easy to do so, um, and especially considering how you attack um, looking at where you're drafting from as well, you know, whether you, you're mixing exposures of players and you're drafting early from one of the early spots, you go RB heavy versus other drafts where you go wide receiver heavy, and you're really trying to get a good amount of exposure to a lot of different players in your pool. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to slice it. Now, that's one of the reasons why over the last year, especially, I've dug into more best ball. Yeah, both of the running backs you guys are talking about, uh, I think, have some standalone value in best ball. Um, and Evans, third round pick, like you mentioned, Debro, that's not just addressing, like, let's just get the best player available. That that was addressing a need. Um, they needed a pass-catching type of running back. Not that they're going to use that position that much. I don't think that they're going to heavily target the running back, but if they're going to throw passes, most of them are going to go to Evans uh, out of the backfield. So you, we kind of already can see that path um, for standalone value for Evans. And then the same with Latavius Murray as they're going to maybe use him in the red zone, pound him in for, uh, for uh, touchdowns, because that's what they do in New Orleans. They get rushing touchdowns in New Orleans from multiple guys. So that's not something new that we've seen. Um I want to talk about Robbie Anderson again, guys. So last week, Josh, I mean, I about Robbie Anderson because I we were going to talk about DJ Moore, and you know, I'm not the biggest DJ Moore guy. Um, so I think oh. we we're talking about breakouts, fake out. Oh god! And he was, yeah, he was he was a fake out for me um, as far as his ADP, just because I think it was wide receiver 13. So I just said, yeah, he's to me he's 16 or 17. Um, and I was thinking about Robbie Anderson. And so I looked into it a little bit more. And by the way, last week when we recorded his ADP on the fantasy football calculator was wide receiver 63. Josh, if you had to guess, where do you think it is now? Because it's moved. Oh, boy. Well, I think, man, I had him at like 48. So, gosh, let's split the difference. I'll say he's at like 56 right now. 
and then D bro, just for like shits and giggles, where do you think he's at? He was, he was at 63. Um, I would say somewhere probably in the mid fifties, probably around 60 range. Um, that last time I looked at best ball, he was somewhere around 60. Yep. 66. He, he, <laughs> he didn't go up. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on, but like, I get it. I, you know, first of all, I get it. And I'm not calling for Robbie Anderson to be, you know, a wide receiver too. But could he be in the wide receiver three range? Sure, he certainly could. And if you get him in best ball, well, that's great because you don't have to worry about which week it's going to be where Robbie Anderson gets about 100 yards and two touchdowns. Because I do think there's going to be those games. Um, I don't know who we had on. I think it might have been uh, John Bauer. It might have been just last week where he was talking about the Panthers being in more shootout style games. And I can mm-hmm. certainly see that, you know, I really yep. appreciate that, uh, that, that line of thinking. So if that's the case, you know, I, I just want to talk about, you know, the history with Matt rule and Robbie Anderson, Robbie Anderson wouldn't have this two year, $20 million contract that he just walked into if it wasn't for Matt rule, because this guy was the head coach of Anderson in college at temple. And Anderson was a cornerback slash receiver. Matt Rule helped him develop into a receiver, and he was behind in the depth chart. So he just left. He came back. He had a decent season, and then he was dismissed for academic probation. Matt Rule fought to change the rules at Temple so that Robbie Anderson could play football, and he succeeded. So, you know, that is huge. So now he comes to Rule. He also has history with Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater was on the Jets roster with Robbie Anderson, so they became friends. This is, I, I, you know, I, I, you don't have to look deep into this, but I just don't know if we don't see another like 700-yard season from Robbie Anderson because that's what he's done the past two years. I don't know why he couldn't do that again. So, you know, you're he's free, you know, and in best ball, I mean, it's the best format. It's always been. I mean, when you talk about best ball and you see the definition of it, Robbie Anderson is right there. So I think it's just a no-brainer. Yeah, boom, bust. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Boom bust. <laughs> yeah, I like Robbie where he's going. I think mixing exposure with him makes a lot of sense. I also like a lot of water receivers that are going around him. So I don't hate uh, Robbie Anderson. I think at his price point, if you get two to maybe three, even two ceiling weeks at that spot, he's probably paying off his cost. So yeah, I don't, I don't hate that call at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, in redraft, I mean, I think that he can go undrafted. You know, um, if you want to take the shot on Curtis Samuel instead, that makes sense to me. Um, but I just think at the end of the year that Anderson and Curtis Samuel are probably going to be around the same statistically. Agreed. Um, I, I haven't looked at Curtis Samuel, but, you know, I'm sure his ADP is much higher. No, I, just, I was just going to say, yeah, sometimes I wonder, you know, we always 
maybe get down on players when they change scenes. And sometimes I just think maybe we underestimate that that could be for the better. And especially when there's all these other personal underlying narratives, like you mentioned with Matt rule and Teddy ball game and stuff like that, but it'll be interesting, man. You know, I like Robbie too. So um, I, I, I'm hoping for the best. Most definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely a, uh, one of the more uh, talented deep ball threats in the game. So that alone. Um, let's get into some of these tight ends, guys. Um, I would be surprised if no, if we don't have all Travis Kelsey at number one. No, yeah. I'm there. I actually have uh, <laughs> I have Kittle at number one. Believe it or not, Ooh. you've got Kittle at one. Okay, I gotta hear Kittle why. I gotta well, hear why. Well, you know, I was kind of you know debating in my head, uh, you know, if I wanted to do this, and then when Debo went down, I mean, I just feel like it's it's his time man i mean his i feel like it's time for him to ascend to that tight end one position um you know maybe in you know we said this on a couple shows ago perhaps the niners aren't quite as run heavy as they were last year either i do think that they will actually get that mix kind of slanted a little more toward the passing game and i think that kittle's 2020 could very likely end up being you know in hindsight like kelsey's 2018 you know, back when we had 2018, the, the peak season of the tight end, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, this big plays that we see out of Kittle as well. I mean, he's just so explosive. It's a, he's a 10 yard per target guy, um, you know, and it's just he's, he has all this yak and we see him just beast on people in the open field. And I mean, he's just to think that last year he played with all these nagging injuries and was never really you know, even a hundred, even close to a hundred percent. It's just, I feel like the potential is just huge with, with Debo kind of taking a back seat. I don't think they're going to have to um, rely on him a ton, but you know, 150 targets absolutely seems reasonable to me. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if he actually surpassed that. So I feel like there's just going to be an uptick all across the board, you know, fully healthy, George Kittle, let's go. Yeah, I mean, if well, Josh, I love what you're saying here because if Debo misses, like, because I think he's going to miss two or three games, um, but we don't know mm-hmm. how this, you know, recovery process is going to go. I mean, it's, we we're thinking ten to twelve weeks from the surgery. That would be about I, right now. It would be around the start of the season. So I'm thinking he can still. He's probably going to miss still like two games, but if he misses like four or five, then you're talking about George Kittle just really having a chance for that. You know number one tight end i mean in games that debo's not there he's not getting less than 10 targets well to both your points um i mean i'm fading debo really hard in all formats um foot injuries are not something i want to mess with especially jones fractures i mean even Mm -hmm. if he doesn't miss a lot of time there's a lot of good data out there where they come back like players come back and if they come back early like high incidence or decent incidence of of reoccurrence or decreased function and so it's just not something like, I mean, I would much rather him like have a knee issue or something else along those lines. I, it, the foot injuries are not something I want to, I want to mess around with. Um, it's just not, I mean, we saw uh, Hollywood Brown uh, struggle through foot injuries all last year uh, on top of a few other ailments. But um, so, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I like the call on Kittle um, and to double down on your point, it's, it just comes down to touchdowns of me and, I think there's a path uh, there for him because if you look at last year with Debo off the field, Kittle's red zone target percentage went from 20 to 34%. So is there a path for him to walk out of the end of this year with 10, 12 touchdowns and, and surpass Kelsey? Yeah, I think that there's definitely a path. 
Well, last year they both had five. I think it was a down year for Kelsey in that department. Um, but, you know, if, yeah, oh, if, if he can get close to that 10 touchdown range, I don't see how he's not the uh, tight end one. So, um, and by the way, this, we're doing uh, half PPR, uh, if we didn't mention that for the, this top 10 discussion. Um, and then I'll say that I have Kittle at two. Uh, Debra, where are you at at two? Uh, I'm at Kittle as well. Kittle. And then Josh, are you you Kelsey at two? Yeah, yeah, he's still he's still there. He's still elite. You know, definitely in the KC offense. There's no reason to fade him. That that Mahomes to Kelsey stack, I think, is one of the be- better stacks that you can have in, in redraft. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and dynasty. I mean, you know, I mean redraft specifically. And um, we did that best ball the other day too with with the uh, our, uh, years truly started with that. Yep, that's right. Kelsey's a great end of the first round pick. If you're sitting at the end of the first round, I mean, I, I have no problem smashing Travis Kelsey. Yeah, we were what were we eleven and twelve in that? So I think I was one away from the turn. So it, it worked out right. pretty good. So you would take him in the first round, Debro? Oh yeah, I would take him in the first round. I mean, he's you look at positional uh, opportunity. I mean, if he falls into the set, he won't fall into the second. He's not falling into the second in any best balls right now. And I don't think he, I think that in most formats, if he falls into the second, he's an auto pick. Like there's no other picks for me if he falls into the second, but even at the end of the first, I mean, you're telling yourself, okay, am I going to go a lot of, I mean, you really can talk yourself into a lot of different avenues. I think just looking at, who is at the end of the first right there for you? It really comes down to one or two players for me because I'm not really as high on the running backs, especially. I mean, if you're sitting at the eleven, you're you're probably staring at Joe Mixon or somebody in that tier, like the back end of the RB one. Yep. I mean, I I'm fine with going Miles Sanders. I'm fine going Kenyon Drake. I actually would take them over Joe Mixon to be honest. Um, but mm-hmm. it's probably in a lot of different formats. Um, I like Travis Kelsey, and I'm willing to push the button on Devontae Adams there. Um, and, and probably more likely than a lot of the running backs, because I know that at the top of the second, I can probably get whoever out of Kenyon Drake, Miles Sanders, whoever falls to the, the top of that second, like in the next two picks, that's who I'll just take right after that, and I have no problems with it at all. Right, right. Josh, you want to talk about your number three tight end? Yeah, uh, number three, I have Mark Andrews. Um, it's it's looking more and more like that's starting to be the consensus as he starts kind of passing up Zach Ertz on a lot of rankings. But, I mean, I just feel like he has probably the most room to expand his game, you know, when you look at just a season ago. I mean, he was – only on the field, like 41% of the time, like he and Hayden Hurst had the exact same snap share he, from just a season ago. And when you're thinking that, you know, not only was he sharing the field with Hurst, both being on the field at the 40, 41% mark, but, uh, you know, Nick Effin blocking tight end Boyle was out there, you know, <laughs> 69% of the time. Nice. Uh, but, you know, it just it's just it's there's so much room him to get out there on the field and I mean I I wouldn't surprise me at all you know if you're talking about uh, like the next guy I have my rankings like where he was getting like 80 percent uh you know of the targets or uh you know snap share and uh, if that's if you're talking like literally doubling his opportunity of snaps on the field this year which is completely reasonable I mean you could even mm-hmm. still have another tw- you know 
uh, 20% left over or something like that, you know, depending on how dynamic this offense can really get, um, you know, and Debro mentioned Hollywood Brown should be fully healthy this year. So that's exciting as well. So, I mean, I definitely think this offense is awesome as it was last year with Lamar at the helm. I mean, I feel like there's, it's scary to say this, but there's room for improvement all around. And Mark Andrews, absolutely one of those big benefactors as well. I love Andrews. Uh, if I'm not going for Kelsey, Andrews is and Andrews is probably my favorite target in all formats this year. Um, I, I just absolutely love him. And you're talking about um, his upside. Anybody that's not that that's not buying into his upside, I need to hear a really good argument why. Because I think injuries really hurt him last year. I mean, weeks 11 through 15, mm-hmm. he didn't run any more than 15 routes and didn't play any more than 43% of snaps. So I think the injuries. Even though he didn't miss any games, I think they really, really limited him last year. And for a guy that was one of only six tight ends to have a 20% higher target share, and he had the highest air air yard market share of any tight end, any, 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 any tight end, the ceiling is just ridiculous. Like, he could go out there and put up, like, Travis Kelsey, like, like at his ceiling numbers, and I'm not going to be surprised about it this year. No Hayden Hurst this year. That helps things. Um, 98 mm-hmm. targets last year, which was, you know, I would say, like, I was huge on Mark Andrews. I I, I was ca- targeting him in the Scott Fishbowl because um, I thought that he could be a league type of, you know, a league winner type of player. And he turned out that he just was. Um, 98 targets, I said, well, I think exceeded my expectations, um, even with the limited um, snap count that he had. Um, but third in total year yards at the position um, behind just Kelsey and Zach Ertz with about 30 less targets. Um, so yeah, if we can, <laughs> if we can give Mark Andrews around that 120 target range, that would be beautiful. I mean, I look at this Ravens offense, like a uh, the passing offense, like a uh, Kansas city light in that they're going to use the tight end to methodically drive up the field when they want to, you know, get that 14, 15 yards. And then they have that boom play in Hollywood Brown. So it's a kind of a similar situation with Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyreek um, because the tar- targets are going to funnel to Andrews and Hollywood Brown. The wide receiver one on both, you know, the 49ers, Chiefs, and the Ravens is the tight end. So that's why you love, mm-hmm. love these players. I think that's why we're talking about them in, as the top three. Right. And if you look at just how many snaps, like targets he got per snap, I mean, obviously that mm-hmm. that's not sustainable, but like, but if well, you, he's only been, I on think it is. I actually think it is. Well, even, but even if it, even if it is, even if it isn't, I mean, if he's still gonna, was only on the field for 41% of the time, and even if he's only on the field for like 65% of the time, I mean, even at a, you know, a lesser targets per snap. I mean, that's just, it's still a ridiculous amount of targets. So yeah, absolutely. Like the, the ceilings like epic for him this year. Do you have Andrews at three? I do have him at three and I, God, I want to make a, a case to myself almost to, to push him to two. Um, and I know people could say that's crazy, but that's honestly how high I am on Andrews. And to your point, I think that the snaps for targets can continue because if you look at the Ravens offense last year, people talk about they they rotated their tight ends and stuff like that. They were below the league average in 12 personnel. So it wasn't like they were they had two tight ends on the on the field a whole lot and they're rotating mm-hmm. between three different guys and people want to talk about okay, well what is 
what does this look like? And do they, they factor in a third guy or, or how does this affect Andrews with Hurst gone? And I'm like, they didn't run 12 a whole lot. So they're running mm-hmm. one tight end out there a ton. That means whoever is out there, they're out there for a specific purpose. And to your point, right. If that means increased snaps for Andrews, then when he's on the freaking field, they're going to throw him the ball. So, right. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's it, we look at personnel usage and stuff, and you read the tea leaves, and this is what it says. So if he gets more snaps, the targets are coming. They're absolutely coming. Yeah, and it's a good point, too. Like, if you – the 69% of the snaps from Nick Boyle is a little misleading because they did line him up in the backfield. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, on more than one occasion, like where he's playing fullback and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, too many nowadays. But he was he's basically taking some of that uh, as his snaps as well. So so there's definitely, you know, some room for improvement. Who's your number four, Josh? I uh, got Zach Ertz. Had the same amount of targets as Kelsey basically last year. So, you know, even if this kind of trend continues, I mean, he was only 20 targets off of the historic 2018 peak tight end season uh, we saw from Kettle kill scene Ertz here, but it was pretty uh, pretty telling to see 80% of the snaps, like I mentioned earlier when we were just talking about if Mark Andrews could get that sort of snap share. Uh, you know, even if that trends downward with Dallas Goddard getting a little more run, uh, I still think that the Eagles are going to run just an absolute ton of 12. You know, even if that split does decline a little bit, well, then you're still talking about a guy that got like as many targets as Darren Waller. So he's still a top five dude, in my opinion. So I still got Zach Ertz holding strong at four. Debro, you with him there? Yeah, uh, I, I think Ertz is good. He's not leaving my top five um, for everybody who wants to talk about it. I mean, it's what, isn't this like a yearly conversation about uh, the path for Zach Ertz to get less targets and more weapons and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and. Every year, Zach Ertz finds a way to targets. And I think that we're anybody that wants to throw out the muddying of the waters, I think there's two big assumptions there. Um, one, you're downplaying the rapport that Wentz has with Ertz. And two, it's the huge assumption that guys that we've seen be consistently dinged up, whether that's Jeffrey, whether that's Djax, whether that's Marquise Goodwin, all of these guys have been dinged up and missed time religiously. So expecting them that even the, the handful of them all of them to not possibly miss time is still not a bet i'm willing to make yeah i was a little disrespectful to Ertz. i put waller ahead of him that Ooh. could flip flop yeah that could flip flop and there's really not a very good reason for it but i will say i think positive td regression can come for darren waller where he had only three last year with the 90 receptions that he had i mean darren waller had a great year if he can bring those touchdowns up to around six then yeah, he'll probably beat out Ertz. You know, the production, he had 90 receptions for 1,100 yards. I mean, if he can repeat that again, I mean, if we looked at the Raiders games last year, everything funneled through Waller in the passing game. It can be argued that that just won't be the case again. But one thing that I'm projecting, which, you know, it, it doesn't have a lot of legs right now, is that Derek Carr gets bent from Marcus Mariota at some point. Now, if that happens then you're going to have a lot of good targets to the tight end. And I'm thinking, you know, of years of Delaney Walker with Marcus Mariota, how Delaney was a perennial top, you know, six, seven guy um, with Mariota. So that it, that's just kind of where I'm seeing. But there's really no good reason why Zach Ertz, who's just every year 130 targets, I mean, so consistent that he shouldn't be at that four range. But, you know, I have him at five. Debro, who is your uh, fifth tight end? So I think we enter after, after you get about 
past the top four, maybe top five. I think we enter uh, an interesting tier of tight ends. And depending on the day, there's a lot of different guys that I think can slot in at the number five. And to your uh, point about Waller, I'm probably throwing a little bit of extra shade at him because I I think I'm probably consistently lower than consensus on Waller this year. Like for purposes of this this podcast, I'm still early in my ranks, but Waller is at number nine for me, or he's in between like seven and nine ish. My number five guy is Mike Gusecki. Um, I am immensely, immensely, immensely high on Gusecki. I know all the yards per target and a lot of the efficiency has been here, there and everywhere. And I know all the Preston Williams truthers will come at my come knock at my door, and you can come come sit down. Let's talk for a bit, uh, which I'm totally <laughs> fine with. Um, because I think if you look at the two physical profiles of both of those players, and you look at how Chan Gailey has run his offenses in the past, and people want to talk about his tight ends, let's give a little bit of credence here too. That if you're expecting Mike Gusecki and talking about Chan Gailey's tight ends um, finishes. And projecting that over to Mike Gusecki, I kind of feel like you're telling on yourself a little bit, to be honest. Um, Mike Gusecki is not a tight end. He is a slot wide receiver. Let's throw that out there to, to begin with. A guy that plays the slot as much as he does approximately about 70% of the time, that is not a tight end. Even your receiving tight ends, your high-end ones, your Kelsey, your Ertz. Um, we're not going to talk about Andrews and Kittle. They play a little more in line than a, a bunch of other guys. But a lot of your receiving tight ends that do play the slot a decent a bit, like that, that's still not even close to 70%. Even Austin Hooper was only at 60%. Most of those guys live in the mid-50s. I think to give true context to Mike Gusecki, I want, like, he needs to be discussed as a slot wide receiver because that's what he is. He's not a blocker. He's not going to play in line. I don't think that considering... Yes, it's a new OC. I don't think that that happens to change this year where they're saying, okay, we know you can't block for crap. Um, we're going to ask you to block a lot this year um, because that didn't work under Adam Gase. And that's why Gasecki flopped in his first year. Um, and the second year, we saw some of these athletic measurables take over. And I'm so ridiculously high. Like, I think Mike Gasecki has Darren Waller esque. Um, upside this year in his target projection um, and what he could possibly do in this offense. Now, I think the play volume is going to be a little bit lower because Chan Gailey runs his offense as just slow as a freaking slug. But in what he could be in this offense, I, I I'm I'm just really really high on his skill set and what he uh, how he factors in. Fifty one receptions, five hundred seventy yards, five touchdowns. He was the tight end 11 so he found himself in that tight end one range already last year what if Tua comes in pretty early I mean does that change anything nope then you're getting better quarterback play honestly to be honest with you I mean I I think that Fitzpatrick is fine for what he is but I mean if we're gonna I just still don't think that Fitzpatrick needs to be discussed in the the realm of being a good quarterback so if we're talking about Tua is naturally better uh, yeah, I, I think that, that that's a boost for Gusecki because I don't think that his play is going to downgrade from Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I mean, Fitzpatrick was able to provide him being a tight end one. And no, he's not a good quarterback per se, but he just keeps receivers relevant fantasy. So if if, if I could say that Fitzpatrick was going to play 16 games and Tua wouldn't play any, I think I'd be high on Gusecki. But yeah, Tua, obviously the better quarterback, but I just can't see 
him necessarily using that tight end position. I could be wrong, um, but I just I think that I would prefer Fitzpatrick if I was on the Gasecki bandwagon, just because of the passing volume. I think too, because two is going to want to run. Yeah, you know, I mean it's going to be a different style of offense, right? Possibly. Miami added a lot of pieces to the offensive line. I think that the, if, if they want Tua to stay upright and actually play games, they're going to say, look, like, dude, you, you need to chill out. You need to get the ball out of your hands. And because right. past that, if they don't build a wall in front of him, he's not going to have a long NFL career. And I'm not even talking about hip injury. I'm just talking about all of his injuries just in general and him getting beat to heck and back. Right. No, that's good points. Josh, anything on uh, the fifth guy, or are we moving on to six now? Just to real quick, uh, Darren Waller, I agree with Debro when he says that there's kind of a break there between four and five. But for me, it's hard to put Waller below uh, my next two guys just because of him being fed so many targets last year. And, you know, it seems like they kind of got more sure of uh, what Waller was capable of as the season went on. But I don't think uh, there's like a, a not like Andrews where there's so much room to you know expand his production. I just feel like maybe a few more targets, maybe the offense gets a little more pass heavy. Um, I certainly hope so for um, at least Josh Jacobs maybe getting a few catches out of the backfield. But for Waller, for his numbers, to take up, right, right. I just his, my expectation is just a few more targets, and you know, so it's it's hard for me to keep him out of the top five, but. He's just a little more, I guess, of a safe bet opposed to guys that I have coming up uh, like number six uh, and number seven. I have uh, Evan Ingram and uh, Hunter Henry. No concerns about uh, anybody eating into Waller's targets? It's definitely not like the Eagles, how the Eagles just kind of added, you know, all of these like field stretchers and speed Mm -hmm. guys. The Raiders definitely added more capable, like multifaceted receivers. Uh, so that does have a bit of a concern. I just think that after all he did last year, he he's proved that he can excel in the offense. So I think that's one guy that uh, not only Gruden, but Dave Carr can trust as well, assuming he's the QB all year. Well, it's a good point, Josh, that, you know, where Andrews has like a, a room to improve, Darren Waller might have seen like his best season ever. Like, and I'm I'm fully like, yeah, that probably happened. Uh, but what if, you know, what if he sees like, you know, 75, 80 catches and six touchdowns? I, I think that still is going to give you what you want. He'll still be a top five-ish tight tight end. But yeah, the, as far as what the Raiders brought in, uh, they brought in rookies. So it depends on how quickly the rookies can develop with Ruggs and Edwards. Um, and then Aguilar at, in the slot, which is just, ugh. and then they have Zay Jones. It's like a lot like of those, I'm a little bit higher on Renfro than I think y'all are. That's yep. that's what I think yep. some of this is too. Yeah, Renfro for sure. And I think he's definitely going to demand targets. Uh, Carr definitely seemed to like throwing to him last year. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that he's certainly one of the guys that we could have talked about earlier on in best ball as far as being like a late round guy. Um, yeah. So that's definitely a good point with, uh, with Renfro. Kind of the same thing that you were saying with one of our other tight ends that we're going to get to later on the Titans, uh, Debro. But um, Josh, did, you, did, I, did I hear correctly that your six was Evan Ingram? Yeah, Ingram just, and this is tough, man. I mean, we talked about this a few episodes ago. Uh, I think when we were talking about our startup dynasty, uh, we were talking about, you know, you get into this area where the, you know, six and seven tight ends here, you get into the Evan Ingram and Hunter Henry range. And, you know, they're kind of, uh, you know, I mean, some places have them backwards, you know, uh, Henry at six and Ingram at seven. Really, honestly, these guys are like six A and six B for me because mm-hmm. it's just a matter of, I think personally, 
the Giants offense, I feel like is ascending more. And I know we talked about that recently, but he's so productive when he's healthy. These guys both have missed a ton of time. He's just, he's been a little more durable than Henry. Of course, Henry missed a whole season uh, with the ACL here a couple of years ago, but Ingram averaging 11 games over his three seasons and Henry 10 games over four. So just a, a slight edge there to Ingram. But, you know, Ingram, I also think is kind of like Debro was talking about with Gasecki, where he can just line up like as a slot guy. I mean, he can just bully smaller DBs. So he's definitely a more athletic guy compared to Hunter Henry. So I think he's a little more versatile. And, you know, I think I think that kind of lends to him being just a, a little bit higher on my personal rankings. But, man, it's neck and neck. Yeah, it's tough to, you know, rank him mm-hmm. because he's just always injured. <laughs> right. I mean, I did... I did a piece for him on the uh, world famous uh, Roto Underworld draft kit. And the first word I wrote was asterisk, period, because <laughs> everything that you say about him is just like you don't want to say, well, if healthy and all this. Since he came into the league, I mean, it's been he's in every category along with Kelsey and Ertz as far as like in the last three years. It's like Kelsey, Ertz and Evan Ingram in a per game basis, um, including last year where even with Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slate, and Saquon Barkley, of course, these guys were like, you know, playing, taking turns on the field. Uh, but even with all those guys, Daniel Jones was still able to find uh, Evan Ingram 7.6 targets per game, which was tied for second in the league, with tied with Kelsey and then right behind Ertz. So, yeah, when he's on the field, he's great. So I, I'm all for him. I have him at six as well. Yeah, I think we're all we're all on the same page. I think that once you get past the top four, top five, it really like I think you really get to a point where you start start have to start taking stands, guys that you really believe in that you're high on because it, it it's just muddy waters, and you have to plant your flag on some players, and that's really where it comes down to who do you like. And I have Ingram at sixth, and. Uh, I think that he gets underrated a little bit, too, um, in his ability as a blocker. So even if we're talking about with the Giants going a little bit more run heavy and stuff, I don't think that he comes off the field. I love his talent profile. All he needs is health because the guy is – he's amazing. I mean, when he is actually on the field, he's absolutely awesome, both out of the slot, out of inline. He's absolutely just fantastic. And, yeah, the the Giants receiving options are just a grab bag. It's such a – a muddy mess about like figuring out how to project that team out this year because I mean just last year it, there was no certain times only like it was like a, a Haley's comment where everybody was healthy everybody's on the field and and we can <laughs> see like what in the heck does this do and now you have a new coordinator a new offense and it's just like they're one of the hardest freaking teams for me to kind of look at this year and be like okay out of Saquon Barkley past that where are the targets going and what the heck does this offense look like? Um, I, I struggle with it, but I do love Ingram. Yeah. And that was the other factor for me is I think that Ingram is going to be a little bit more of a focus for the reasons you just mentioned. There's not a, such of a strong supporting cast. I mean, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, those guys are both capable, uh, you know, but it's supporting cast. I feel like is a little bit better in LA and Keenan Allen and you still got big Mike Williams and Austin Eckler, you know, he can eat out of the backfield. So it's uh it's definitely interesting, but I think Ingram is kind of more productive when, when he's on the field and he's going to be a little bit more of a focal point in that offense. So just a, just a shade in front of Hunter Henry for me at seven. 
Yeah, if if Daniel Jones can get like all these guys for twelve games, like if they all play twelve games together, then Daniel Jones is going to be a top eight quarterback. You know, I mean, the, I think that you know this Giants offense could be talented, especially when you consider Barkley, of course, out of the backfield. I mean, that really starts starts with Barkley and then channels out to Ingram and then those other guys. You know, if, if you're going to cover them one on one, they can they can really beat you, including Darius Slayton. So I, I really like that offense as far as like, a, you know, a surprise offense to really jump off uh, the map as far as fantasy goes this year. Well, right. and all the options are so cheap too. like uh, even past Ingram. I mean, you, you get past maybe even Ingram and Barkley and it's just so, Daniel Jones is uber cheap, like all the receivers mm-hmm are going at, at the later parts of drafts. Like if you want to stack options, especially like we're talking about best ball earlier, it's a really, really good avenue to do that. I think we're moving on to seven. Who is your seventh? Um, so um, for seven, who, for me, seventh, it's Hayden right? Hurst. Um, it's okay. Hayden Hurst. And and a lot of it goes down to like, we're, we're trying to project out passing volume for offenses. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you're looking for where are targets going to go and who is a guy that I think that just walks into like 80, 90 targets this year. And I think Hayden Hurst can definitively do that. And it's not so much, I'm not pigeonholing him for the Austin Hooper role. It's just the fact that this Falcons team is going to throw the ball. Like they are not going to finish outside the top three, top five and pass attempts. It's just not going to happen with Cutter manning the controls of Matt Ryan there. If I'm looking just projecting out volume, and we know volume is is king in fantasy, and especially for tight ends, he's not a guy that I think is going to – you can't – unless you're just really, really just trying to, to push a narrative and fade him. Like, I don't understand anybody that can, like, put him outside the top 12. Um, but I think the volume pushes him up for me, and that's why he's at seven for me. I love that call. Yeah. And yeah, Hunter Henry, you know, just going back to him, I, I just, it's going to be tough with Tyrod Taylor, like how that, you know, offense looks, how they want to mm-hmm. use their their weapons, because I think that's why you can get Keenan Allen at such a discount now. Although I would say that Keenan Allen is going at a great value, but uh, Hunter Henry is still going in that range, in that second tier range, where it's like, I could get guys later, you know, who I, who I want. Kind of like my seventh guy who... <laughs> I, I'm kind of getting the giggles again, Josh, because <laughs> last week I was talking about Robbie Anderson or thinking about Robbie Anderson. I started getting the giggles and I got the giggles again when I started thinking about this guy. And then I really looked into this guy because going into 2019, he was a rookie and the metrics just jumped off the page as far as you know his profile, his speed score, his 40 time, all of his metrics, his athletic metrics just jump off of the sheet. And then he goes in the first round. Then he's drafted in the first round, the tight end draft in the first round. Great. But we've seen that, you know, not work out so well with like David Njoku, uh, Hayden Hurst to this point, you know, so that's not that great. But Noah Fan produced last year and it's not like he had a great season. And that's why he's going significantly lower than I think he should. You know, 66 targets, not bad. You know, for his rookie year, 40 receptions, 562 yards. And that 562 yards is interesting because I was a big proponent of Mark Andrews last year. I was calling for it all offseason, and I made sure I got him late in a lot of places. And Mark Andrews had the sixth best season in terms of rookie tight ends in total yardage last season for, for rookies, or two, two seasons ago for Mark Andrews, sorry. Last year, 
Noah Fant had 10 more yards than that Mark Andrews season. And now he is the sixth most at that tight end position. What I really liked about Noah Fant was the yards after catch. He was actually seventh in the league at the tight end position in that category. Uh, 14.1 yards per catch. And it was really interesting. You know, I mean, I think he had some success with Joe Flacco, actually. And then when Drew Locke came in, it was kind of, you know, Drew Drew Locke went to spread it around a little bit. He knew he had Cortland Sutton on the outside. um, So he used his weapons. But I think with a year of offseason, you know, second year for Noah Fant, I'm drafting him very late with the understanding that he could be like a close to top five type of guy because He's one of the more talented. I mean, what what happened with George Kittle? He had like a George Kittle-esque rookie year. And we were all looking at George Kittle like, okay, he could be, he could take that step. And he did. And no one's really talking about Noah Fant in that light right now. Good call. Yeah, I like Fant. I think my my only worry about Fant is how much, how many different weapons uh, can Drew Locke support? I think is really what it comes down to for me for Fant. Yeah. Um, who is that second option? Like, does he split up targets between him and Judy? And what does that look like? Because I think Sutton's the Sutton's the one one uh, A at worst. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely up for you know question. Is like, how are they going to use Fant? What does that target distribution look like? But yeah, exactly. I, I just think that he has that upside. Did we all talk about our seventh tight end? Yeah, who you got? Right, I'm on it, man. I'm on. Gronk coming back and smashing some folks in the mouth. I'm I'm all for it. I think people are underrating the Tampa offense. To be honest with you, I if you look at a lot of different efficiency metrics, uh, targets, things that you know, what have you, I don't think that Tom Brady. I almost said Tampa. God dang it, I hate that. Um, I don't (laughs) think that Tom Brady is washed. I don't think that he's quite there yet, and I am on board for Gronk to stack enough touchdowns to get to number eight here. I don't know that necessarily that the target volume is going to be there. But the other thing about this is if we think that ta- uh, that the Buccaneers are going to throw the ball, how can Gronk not be the third option? Who is going to command targets over Gronk behind Evans and Godwin? Because I, I don't I don't know who that's going to be. Um, we've already seen O.J. Howard uh, get firmly in the Bruce Arians doghouse. They don't have a third uh, great third uh, wide receiver option. As much as my Justin Watson love uh, will attest to, um, so I don't Scotty think fan. not well not as a high volume <laughs> guy. I mean, not as a guy that he can even pull targets away. I I think that there is something to be said. Everyone wants to drive narratives home right now about like the off seasons and the the current climate that we're looking at right now. And if we're looking into that and we put any kind of credence to that, then rapport comes with that. I don't I don't have to state anything about the rapport between Gronk and Tom Brady. I'm just going to throw that out there. Like, I'm not going to give you any numbers. I'm not going to throw any narratives. Like, that's just a fact. They know what's where each other is going to be at certain plays, even at different offenses. That translate. All we need no. is health, man. That's all we need. He needs just to not look like that that he's Drax out there trying to run routes. Past that, I think that he 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 can come back and smash as a top ten. Josh, who was your eight? Eight, I had Hayden Hurst, you know, second year of Matt. Well, technically it's like Matt Ryan's fifth year in Dirk Cutter's offense. Uh, I think Cutter was there from right. 2012 to 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the Tony Gonzalez days, you guys remember that? Yeah, 120, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, I was like 120, 125 target tight ends. You know, last year as Cutter's coming back, 
121 tight end targets, you know, and Hooper got 97 of those uh, after missing three weeks. And just real quick, this is the last I'll add on to Hayden Hurst, uh, because I know Debro already hit some great points, but targets for Austin Hooper game by game, nine, six, seven, 11, nine, eight, five, seven. And then he gets hurt after getting five targets in week 10 and he misses three weeks and he finishes with six, six, nine, and nine. If that's not some fantastic consistency, um, man, I, I don't know what is. So if you consider that Hurst is probably going to be a big beneficiary of, you, know, you got to say, like Debro said, walking into so many targets, there's so much opportunity for him. It's hard for me to not have him in almost every best ball league I've done. So very excited about his potential this year. Josh, to your point too, can we also throw out there that Russell, Russell Gage is hashtag not good? Like that's just a fact. <laughs> He's just not. So I, I I think that there's absolutely an avenue for Hurst to be the easy uh, number three in this offense. Yeah, no doubt. I love that call. Love that call. I think I need to be higher on Hayden Hurst myself. He's not in my top 10. Um, I actually did my top 13. I ranked those out and uh, he's not in my top 13, but I think I need to revisit that. My number eight is actually Blake Jarwin, a guy we've talked about on this this podcast. Um, Yeah, uh, I think that if 80% of uh, Jason Witten's targets go to Blake Jarwin, then he can be that kind of guy because we know that when Jason Witten caught all 63 of his balls last year, he either got tackled right away or it was a touchdown. <laughs> and Blake Darwin isn't that guy. Blake Darwin can actually... Don't throw shade on, on, on the, the the dad runner community, okay? On team catch, <laughs> catch and fall down, okay? Yeah, There's something to be said for team, team catch runner. and fall down. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag team dad runner. <laughs> That's the team I'm on, though. <laughs> hey you know i i bet i bad mouthed jason win the other night on the dynasty theory and i got some sh- i got some shade on that one too I, i'm sorry jason win all right like i love you but you know it, it's i think when blake jarwin gets the, the ball he's actually going to do something with it uh we've seen that with him before and i just love this cowboys offense i know i've talked about before i i think that it's actually finally like a offense that you want like different parts of and I want the tight end there. I will say, like, I think I'm pretty high on him. And it's not set in stone that he's going to get all of the tight end targets. I don't think he's going to get all of them. And there's a good chance that he maybe gets 60, around 60% of the tight end targets. And that's a situation where he's going to fall out of t- outside the top 15. But if he can stay on the field and they use him, I think that there's a chance that he gets into that top 10. Yeah, I could see it. I think that if Dak and this Cowboys offense hits meteoric proportions, I definitely can see him being a lock top 12 guy just based off a of touchdown equity alone. Right. And we're at nine guys. We're at nine. All of us. <laughs> yeah. Who's your nine? Okay. All right. I have, I have Hunter Henry. Debra, who's your nine? I've already thrown enough shade at Darren Waller for this episode. So, um, yeah, he's he's my number nine. Right. So low, Darren Waller, the disrespect. And now you're going to make me go into it a little bit more. I, it's because I think that Hunter Renfro factors into this offense more than – maybe yeah. I'm just a little bit higher on him than other people. But if you look back to last year, him and Waller cannibalized each other, not so much on target volume, but a lot of it was just touchdowns, man. When Renfro was on the field – Waller saw his red zone target percentage drop from 25 to 11%. So a lot of this is I'm higher on Renfro than I think other people, as well as the added weapons. And I think Waller just had a perfect storm of being the only dude there last year. And I just don't think that repeats. 
Yeah, 71 targets for Hunter Renfro last year. So if you think that those are going to go up, then that means that those targets for Waller are going to go down. Yep. Josh, who's your nine? I actually had Gronk in at my number nine. Just uh, yes. not, not going to go through, <laughs> you know, everything like the history of Gronk. But I mean, we saw even like in Gronk's last couple, uh, you know, limited seasons. I mean, he's still pulling in statistics that are going to make him a top 10 tight end. And I mean, I know it's a little bit crowded, but I would be amazed if the if the Bucks somehow rostered all three of Gronk, Cameron Bray, and O.J. Howard by the time that, you know, preseason or I'll, I'll just say week one even kicks off. He's got to be, you know, they've mentioned now O.J. Uh, is on the move. So it's it's just one of those things where we talk about this connection, the rapport we talked about in the receivers episode with Gary Haddow, you know, I, I'm huge on the rapport as well, especially with the the current state of training camps or the lack thereof. So it's going to be really interesting, but yeah, this nonverbal communication that these guys share, it's just too hard for me to keep Gronk out of the top 10 because of, you know, just the potential that he offers, especially around the goal line. He's, he can be a monster after a year off. He might be a little uh, recharged and refreshed. You know, we'll see. He looks lean and mean. I'll say that. He does. He looks, he looks, he looks like he's in hella yeah. shape right now. He lost uh, a so lot of weight no- wearing that big ass costume on the Mass Singer. <laughs> <laughs> I just can picture him just suffering inside that mask, just like sweating <laughs> bullets. But um, any t- any TV that Gronk is on is just good TV. But um, yeah, it, look, if we believe in this Buccaneers offense, which I think. Yeah, it has a chance to actually be explosive. Then Gronk is certainly going to be a top ten tight end if they if they can really you know um, be that kind of like downfield threat that vertical offense. Um, yeah, I, I definitely see that. Debro, who is your tenth tight end? Number ten for me is a guy that we talked about previously before we turned the mics on. Uh, it's Johnny Smith for me. Um, I, I love him. You look at just receptions and missed tackles forced based off of the volume that he got last year, and the guy is he's efficient as hell. I think that he has a chance to carve out a role in this offense. Now, I, am I as high on his target projection as everybody else? And do I think that he's got much of a ceiling outside of the back end of, of tight end ones? Probably not, unless just things go really sideways. I just, I don't see it. Because I, I think Adam Humphreys, like we're talking about uh, before hitting record, I think that he factors into this offense and it's something that people aren't weighing enough. But I, I think I like him at 10. I think that he, he there is a path for Janu to walk out of this season with seven, eight touchdowns. And not even talking about yardage and targets and stuff like that. If you get seven or eight touchdowns, you are probably going to be a tight end one. It doesn't matter even if you you end up with like 400, 500 yards. So I like him at 10. Oh, I love that. Last year with Ryan Tannehill, he had six games with at least four targets. And of course, Delaney went down. So that helped things because the snap percentage went way up. But in those six games, four of those games, he had at least 60 yards. Um, So you'd love to see that kind of production. Um, And then there's, of course, there's games where he completely disappeared from the offense, which I think you're going to have to still deal with this year. Um, So that's going to be very tough to slot him in as your tight end one on certain weeks. But he's going to give you those kind of like top five tight end performances also on certain weeks. So that's going to be interesting. 
along with Noah Fant, he uh, is a yards after catch kind of guy. Noah Fant was seventh at the position last year. Janu was not far behind him at nine. And both of these guys were in the top 10 in the, this, you know, yards after catch. But, you know, 66 targets for Fant and Janu, 44 targets. The other guys on this list all are over like 65 targets. Um, mm-hmm. So just imagine what happens if you can give Janu about 60 to 70 targets. I mean, can, is that possible? I mean, you know, Debra, yeah. you make a good point. These these pesky slot receivers are kind of messing up our tight end rankings here. Well, it's it's because they're, they're going to operate in the same areas of the field. And I think that we, as fantasy analysts, need to factor in some of, like, how these offenses run, not only just that, but when we're looking at volume – what other guys in these offenses or in their schemes can cannibalize their value or their volume per se. So yeah, I, I, I'm worried about Johnny, but I'm not ready to totally fade him. Um, I, I definitely could see a path to 70 something targets for him. And for the record, he's my 11th tight end. Josh, who is your 10th tight end? Uh, I'm going to, it's kind of a cop out answer, but to kind of echo something that Debro said earlier you know, we're talking about once you get past that first tier tight end, you got to kind of take a stand on somebody. Now we're past that second tier once you get past like that eighth, ninth tight end. And and this is the position of drafts where, you know, I'm going to tell anyone that's listening, go and get your guy. I mean, whether it's Jarwin, mm-hmm. whether it's Janu, whether it's Gasecki, or hell, even if you're still a Jared Cook believer. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, this top tier of the, you know, the third tier of tight ends, I mean, it's just absolutely loaded with guys, you know, wouldn't mind having on my team at all. Steve mentioned Noah Fant, uh, you know, absolutely. Like all of these guys could be on anyone's top 10 and it just go out and get whoever you like the best out of this group. But I also think that this is a good point where this upper third tier of tight ends is kind of like where I, I want one of these guys as my starters, obviously, and I don't want to kind of be left on the outside looking in. You know, I'm not going to pick anybody specifically, but this is just this is the point where you got to go and get your guy. Um, but if I had to, I, I'd probably end up putting Janu in there at uh, at number ten. I think it's a really good spot, uh, or at least another good point to mention, Josh. Uh, if you're not going for one of those top five, top six kind of guys. I think that there's a really good case to be made for waiting to the end of the draft and then just drafting two tight ends and playing matchups, especially at the beginning of the season. Right, right. It's a good, it's a good uh, territory of the draft to be comfortable taking one or, like you said, maybe two of these guys, especially if you're in a tight end premium. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, you, I, I think that's going to be perfect if you compare Johnu with someone who's going to be a little bit more consistent and you can you know, play the matchup with Johnu because, you know, like I said, he's going to give you those kind of top five performances on certain weeks. And then to wrap up, my 10th is Jared Cook. He was seven last year because of those nine touchdowns. TD regression is going to come. I don't think he's going to get near that nine, uh, but I still like the situation he's in. Uh, so I think that's good enough to get him into this back end of the top 10. Don't love it, <laughs> but I, I just think that the situation's too good to ignore. That makes sense. The last thing I'll say about the, the tight ends here in this spot, you know, Debro talked about, Gusecki, some of the concern with maybe Preston Williams. And don't get me wrong, love Preston Williams. Like not a not a big Devontae Parker fan, but Preston Williams is probably in the later stages of his rehab. You know, as we record this, you know, just to think like Preston Williams suffered his, you know, it, during the middle part of the season. So it's like he's probably in the later stages of his rehab where Mike Gusecki's out throwing, uh, you know, passes through and over his condo building to himself, <laughs> catching him on the other side. So 
if you haven't seen that Twitter video, check it out. So yeah, it was hard, it was hard for me. I had Gasecki uh, actually ranked as my 10th tight end and I just kind of slid uh, Janu in there, but I'm sure it'll change four times before the uh, end of the month. So we are covered. Oh yeah. good. <laughs> D bro. Thank you so much, man, for joining us tonight. It's been a long time coming. We've tried to do this a couple of times. just didn't work out um, with, you know, planning and everything, but I'm so happy that you could come on, man. Please, you know, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter um, and tell them what you can about what you have coming up for FTN. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, check me out on Twitter at Debro underscore FFB. And yeah, uh, lots and lots of stuff coming. Um, I'm currently grinding. Um, if you look at the timeline, I'm currently grinding through uh, team breakdowns, projections um, in the sense of head coaches, OCs, uh, pass rate, personnel, uh, all these different facets and what these offenses kind of look like uh, moving forward into this season. Um, so that in addition to Man, I'm doing everything from best ball to dynasty to season-long stuff. There is going to be all kinds of different flavors of content for really whatever you want to consume as far as NFL goes. So um, all of my work moving forward, as we said earlier, um, which thank you all for the immensely generous and kind uh, introduction uh, at the beginning of this podcast. But um, all of my content will be found at Fade the Noise from now on. And uh, yeah, thank y'all for having me. This was an absolute blast to be able to chop up the, this tight end position with you guys. Yeah, always good talking with you, man. Josh, any final thoughts before we get out of here today? No, just a quick reminder to the listeners that will be coming up on the, uh, the SFB Podathon here. Getting that, get your Red Bulls ready because we've got one of them late night slots. Yeah, one thirty a.m. Uh, Eastern time, but you know Pacific time. I, th- I feel like it's pretty generous. Ten thirty. You know, people are still going to be up, not needing the Red Bulls just yet. But you know, it, it wouldn't be the hot take if we didn't get the late night uh, spot. I think that's what Sal was thinking there. Fantasy after dark. Fantasy after dark, man. You know, that's you know that's when it gets real sexy, right? After dark, when the lights go down. FFB <laughs> um, Podathon. That's going to be July fifth into July sixth. Um, and then, of course, um, like I mentioned earlier, got some stuff coming out with a uh, world famous draft kit at uh, Player Profiler uh, Monkey Knife Fight. You can go there. There is uh, a way that you can sign up uh, for if you sign up for a subscription over there, you will get the f- draft kit for free. Um, so go over there and check that out. It's a lot of great information from some of the best in the biz, including Derek Brown, our guest tonight, along with Evan Silva. Um, and a- list a plethora of other great analysts that are doing work over there on behalf of our guest Debro and john bailey my name is steven trillian this has been the hot take podcast